You are listening to the Treasuring Christ Church podcast. At TCC, we believe that church isn't just like a family, but it is a family. We hope you're encouraged by listening to God's word today, but we would love to see you on Sundays at 1030. For more information, check us out online at tccannarbor.com. Well, we uh, picked back up our series in the Gospel of Mark. We've uh, been walking through the Gospel of Mark uh, since uh, uh, last year, um, which is only a few weeks ago. But, um, but uh, we started our journey in the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to continue uh, through chapter 8 up until Easter. And so really excited uh, about continuing to walk through uh, the Gospel of Mark. And here in this first section, the question that's before us is, who is Jesus? Um, and as we think about that question, uh, who is Jesus, um, today our passage asks that question uh, in a very straightforward way. At the end, in verse 42, the disciples, uh, seeing Jesus' power to calm the storm, they say, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so uh, this, uh, this passage through chapter 5, though, uh, is kind of tied together with a, a theme, and that theme is that they... They all demonstrate Jesus' power and authority. And in some ways, this is repeating what we've already seen. Back in Mark chapter 2, we saw how Jesus demonstrates his power and authority to forgive sins, how Jesus demonstrates his power and authority over sickness and over unclean spirits. Well, here it's going to be repeated again in this succinct way. In our passage today, we see his authority over nature. We see in chapter 5, his authority over an unclean spirit. And then in the latter half of chapter 5, we're going to see his authority uh, over sickness and death. Um, and in demonstrating his authority, demonstrating his power, uh, and asking the question, who is this? It's meant to invite us to consider who Jesus is and to respond to him by faith and in trust. Uh, and so in many ways, today's passage, I think, is a fitting uh, passage for us to introduce uh, our seven days of prayer and fasting that begin uh, tomorrow. Uh, because uh, in our passage, we're going to see that no matter uh, what we're going through, no matter what we're experiencing, our greatest need is to see God for who he is and to trust him. That, that's what we need more than anything else, even though our circumstances may differ and change and there may be different degrees of challenges and, and experiences that we go through. The thing that we need most is to see God for who he is. And like the disciples, we find ourselves often missing or underestimating who God is. We, we either are distracted and blinded to, to who God is, or, or maybe we, we underestimate uh, his power and his strength and his grace and his mercy and his love, and we need our eyes opened to see God for who he is. Uh, and that's what we see happen with the disciples. And, uh, and, and so uh, in, in looking at this passage, the focus isn't on the storm. The focus primarily is on who Jesus is. And, uh, and so in, in a very real way, this isn't a passage about the storms of life per se. Uh, it's really a passage about Jesus, who is the Lord over the storm. Um, and, and, and so when we see Jesus for who he is, though, uh, what, what I want us to do today is to apply the truth of who Jesus is to the storms that we experience in our life, to, to help us to understand how we can trust Jesus as our anchor when we go through uh, the various storms and trials of life. And I think uh, the... the the passage presents us with three truths for life's storms that I want us to, to see today. Um, <clears throat> the first is that being with Jesus doesn't stop the storm. 
You saw in the passage that after Jesus had been teaching uh, for the day in in chapter 4, we see that Jesus got out in a boat uh, in the water, and from the boat he was teaching the crowds, uh, kind of allowing him to have space from the crowds that was pressing on him and kind of creating a natural uh, scenario in which the acoustics could be heard by more people. Um, And it says that on that day when evening had come, Jesus said, let's go across to the other side. He's on the Sea of Galilee, and uh, the Sea of Galilee uh, is about 7 to uh, 12 miles uh, wide across. And so it's a, not a great journey, but a significant journey nonetheless. And uh, Jesus uh, doesn't go back for anything, apparently, but he just goes. It says to us that he goes as he was. Uh, and they cross uh, to the other side. And <clears throat> one, of the, one of the things I just want to note here in this passage that I think is encouraging to us, and I try to do this when I, whenever I can, uh, I think the account of Mark chapter 4 presents us with just some reasons that we can trust the, the trustworthiness of the Bible. Uh, that we can um, we can trust the accounts that we hear in the scriptures. Um, just consider how uh, uh, Mark records the details of this event. The the details are recorded in a way that could only be done so with an eyewitness account. Just consider how he notes the time of day when the evening had come. He notes that Jesus goes across just as he was. He he indicates. I love the the strange comment that says, "And there were other boats with him." Um, It doesn't tell us much more about the other boats, but it just says there were other boats with him. And and perhaps my my favorite detail of all is that when the storm is raging on, Jesus is asleep and he's sleeping on a cushion. Um, And uh, the the cushion, uh, I heard one commentator say, perhaps uh, it was Peter's pillow. And so he particularly remembered uh, that Jesus was asleep on a cushion. Um, but we have these details, and, and I think it's just an encouragement to us as we read the scriptures uh, to, to, to be able to trust in, in what they tell us. And, and perhaps uh, even more greatly than those details, one of the things time and time again that the scriptures present to us uh, is, is not a rosy, uh, sugar-coated picture of the disciples. If you're making up an account uh, concerning Jesus's power and authority and uh, benefiting yourself in the process, you don't typically uh, record it in such a way where you look like the fool in the story. Uh, And time and time again, the Gospels, based on the eyewitness testimony of the disciples, present us with the very real struggle of the disciples to see and understand who Jesus is. Um, And so uh, just a a sidebar note uh, as you read the scriptures to be encouraged uh, that we can trust God's word uh, as it's given uh, to us. Um, And the... The account tells us that they go across in this boat. And, and you know, I initially remember the first time I uh, remember reading this as a young believer, I like kind of envisioned that they had like a canoe, like they were going across the Sea of Galilee in a canoe, you know. Um, and uh, it, it's not like that. They're, the boat that they're in is, isn't like a, a massive yacht by any means, but it's a, it's a sizable boat that probably holds up to 15 people. Um, so there's a good uh, sized boat in which uh, they're in as they're going across the Sea of Galilee. Um, and the Sea of Galilee is a, is a pretty large body of water, but more than just being a large body of water, it was known uh, for being about 600 or so, more than 600 feet below sea level and surrounded by mountains. And because of its geography, what often would happen on the Sea of Galilee is that the winds from the mountain would roll down and it would often create sudden and violent storms on the Sea of Galilee. 
Uh, it's not unlike what happens on uh, Lake Michigan when there are surges and seiches that, uh, that come about, and you can find yourself in a predicament in a very quick way if you're not aware of what the weather is. Uh, so I've heard. I haven't uh, been out on Lake Michigan. I can barely stick my toe in it, you know, when I stand on the edge, um, even in like August, you know, like it's cold. Uh, but uh, you throw in uh, a sudden storm and cold water, it can make uh, for a dangerous situation. But the Sea of Galilee, while not as cold as Lake Michigan, is known for these sudden storms that would arise. Uh, and so it appears that on uh, that evening as they went across, uh, a storm arose. And verse 37 tells us that it was a sizable storm. It says a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat. So the waves were coming up over the boat and water was uh, coming into the boat and taking on water. And you can just imagine how the disciples responded in the situation as they inevitably were frantically probably trying to figure out how to get out the water and how to, uh, how to save themselves from from drowning and in the midst of all of what's going on the disciples must be working and all of a sudden either think to themselves or the whole time that they're working think to themselves where is Jesus where is Jesus and and just pause to think a moment about what we know about Jesus thus far in the story they're on the sea of Galilee at night because Jesus told them to go across the sea of Galilee And where is Jesus now that he's told them to go across the Sea of Galilee? Well, we see in verse 37 or verse 38 that he's in the stern and he's asleep on a cushion. How you sleep in a storm on a cushion, I uh, I don't know. I, I can't. I. I've been told that I'm a heavy sleeper, um, but I, I would feel if I were on a boat, I, I don't know if I would be a heavy sleeper. And I especially know if I were on a boat and there was a storm outside, I don't imagine that I would sleep through it. <clears throat> but either <clears throat> Jesus and being tired as we see the humanity of Jesus on display in this passage, or, or perhaps because both he, being human and divine, he is in control of all things, he can sleep as the storm rages. But nonetheless, he's asleep on a cushion and the stern. But I think a very real truth that it presents to us is that being with Jesus and listening to Jesus, following Jesus does not ensure that we won't find ourselves in a storm. The disciples did everything right. They did what Jesus asked. They were with Jesus. The best spot in the world that they could be was to be with Jesus. And they were with Jesus and in a storm, afraid for their lives. So being with Jesus doesn't ensure or stop the storm. And the disciples had a hard time uh, remembering and recalling something that's true uh, all the way back into the Old Testament. That's true about God. And sometimes we forget it too. You might remember Psalm 23, a great passage that tells us that the Lord is our shepherd. That... He makes us lie down in green pastures and he leads us beside still waters. The disciples probably could remember that part, but they were struggling to understand what it was like in rough waters. They just needed to read a little bit further in Psalm 23. Because Psalm 23 verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Being with God doesn't ensure 
that we don't go through trials, that we don't go through difficult circumstances, that we don't experience the, the harshest realities of life storms. I, I feel like in, in my own life from watching those I know uh, at a distance and uh, even some that I know up close, I'm just reminded of how harsh life can be, how difficult life's journey can be, the sorrows and the sadness and the difficulties and the trials that arise. For people who know God, who love Him, who, who seek to, to live for Him. Listening to and following Jesus doesn't ensure that we won't experience difficulties. But what comfort it is that He is with us when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when the storms rage around us. But the disciples in this moment forget all of that. And there's only one question they've got for Jesus. As they awake him, they say to Jesus at the end of verse 38, Teacher, do you not care? Do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus, don't you see that we are are drowning? We need your help. So the question they have for Jesus is, where are you? What are you going to do? But the storm that they are experiencing is actually bringing up an even more important question for the disciples and for us. And that question is, where is our faith? They say, Jesus, where are you? What are you doing? But their circumstance brings out a more important question that forces us to consider, where is our faith? And to understand where our faith should be, we need to understand who Jesus is. And that's what we see in verse 39, that Jesus has power and authority over the storm. In verse 39, it says, He awoke and he rebuked the wind and the sea, and he said, Peace, be still. And in response, the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. See, Jesus didn't first address their lack of faith. He's going to do that in a moment. He first addresses the storm and reveals his power and authority by calming the storm and and bringing peace to the sea. It's powerful to consider Jesus' words, peace, be still. And it was so. As I was reading this, I was just thinking, I've shared this with some of you, um, I found this strangely relatable uh, as a parent, <clears throat> especially of a little one. Um, uh, I saw uh, a little Facebook uh, memory like two years ago. Um, our son at the time had figured out how to climb out of his bed, and he was getting up out of his bed, and uh, we were struggling to get him to, to go back to his bed. And I was just, it just so happened that as I saw that memory, now our daughter, who's uh, two years old, uh, is now getting out of bed and uh, and getting up at night and just continually uh, doing this. And so what happens is uh, she gets out of bed and comes to our room multiple times a night. Um, and you're like, nope, you got to go back to your bed. You're like trying to be consistent. You got to go back to your bed. You got to go back to your bed. But eventually at somewhere around 2 a.m. Uh, where neither Emily or I are cognizant of anything that's happening around us, uh, you eventually just give in and the child ends up in your bed and you just sleep very uncomfortably until the morning. And, and there's some point along the way in that though, as the child gets antsy and wants to uh, watch your phone or watch a show or get up or is asking questions in which you uh, graciously, no doubt as a parent, you say, quiet, be still. <laughs> but when I say that, my child does not stay calm <laughs> and stop moving, right? I-, I say quiet and be still. 
But it doesn't happen the way that I want it to happen. Usually, my children don't listen, at least not for very long. And yet, I, I find myself saying it again and again. But when Jesus rebukes the storm, he says, quiet, peace, be still. And it listens. You see, what Jesus is doing here in revealing his power and authorities, he's doing what we would only expect God to do. And the conclusion for us is that Jesus is none none other than God himself. Psalm 107, verses 23 through 29, say, Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven and they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. The, the storm raged and the hearts of men failed. And it says they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. They cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. Look what he did. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. See, when, when we read Mark 4, verses 35 through 42, we ought to have Psalm 107, verses 23 through 29 in our minds. Who is it that calms the winds and the storm? Who is it that can take the waves of the sea and make them be quiet? It's God. Jesus is God. The, the conclusion is clear that just as God spoke in creation, it was so. Jesus speaks to creation and it was so. Just as Psalm 107 says that God quieted the storm and hushed the sea, so it is Jesus who commands and rebukes the storm and quiets the sea. Jesus is the sovereign creator and ruler over all things. The, the heart of the passage, the point of the passage is for us to see the power and authority of Jesus to understand who he is. And as I said at the beginning of this message, our greatest need today, as well as our greatest need in the midst of any storm we face, is for us to see and to have a greater view of who God is. It's not for a system or a plan to get through our challenge and our trial. It's, it's not to fix ourselves so that we can get through it. There may be all kinds of other things that we may need to do in the midst of life storms, but the greatest need in the midst of life storm is for a greater view of who God is. And that's why our prayer ought to be, give me eyes to see you and a heart to trust you. That's what the disciples needed, a deeper understanding of God's character deeper knowledge of his way and his word, uh, deeper appreciation of, of his power. Just like we begin the seven days of prayer and fasting by saying, God, have your way in me. We also ought to maybe add to it, God, help me to see you for who you are. Give me eyes to see you. Give me a heart to trust you. Increase my vision of you, O oh God. Help me to behold you in all of your wonder and your glory. Give me a wider understanding of your love and your power and your mercy and your grace and your goodness. More of you, God. That's what we want. That's what we need. And our trials and our, uh, and our, <clears throat> and our ups as well as in uh, our downs. We need eyes to see God. And you know, I think it's, 
it's so encouraging uh, to me, and it's a reminder to me that the songs that we sing, so often the hymns of our faith and even many songs today that are, that are being written, help us focus on God. Help us to focus on his character and, and how that then becomes a balm to our soul and our trials. And one of the things that make Christians absolutely crazy in this world is that they can sing in their sorrow. Christians can sing in a storm. You, you might remember the passage in Acts chapter 16 as Paul and Silas are in Philippi. They got arrested for preaching the gospel and they're put in jail in stocks, basically bound in prison. And midnight comes and, and, and in prison at midnight, what do you do? I think you go to sleep. But they're in prison at midnight and they're singing. They're praising God. And their praises of God, when God breaks through and delivers them from prison, ends up being the message that saves the Philippian uh, uh, jail guard who, who hears them and, and who asks them when he sees God's power and he hears their singing, he says, what must I do to be saved? It was in the midst of their trial that they're singing to God. How can we do that? It's only because of who God is. Do you have a deep enough view of who God is that you can sing in your sorrow? I love how firm a foundation says, fear not, I am with thee. Be not dismayed for I am thy God and I will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand. See what it says about God, that he's with us, that he is powerful, that he is our help and, and our need. He is uh, the right omnipotent right hand who will uphold us. When through deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with thee thy troubles to bless and sanctify thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials the pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine, to understand not only the character of God, but the purposes of God in our trial, that it's not arbitrary, it's not random, it's not fatalistic. There is a God who is working to accomplish his purpose in our life. And in this moment, we may get a little glimpse of it, but in eternity, we'll get a massive glimpse of who God is and what he was doing. And then we, we see the confidence of that soul on Jesus hath leaned for repose. I will not, I will not desert to his foe. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake. Thy firm foundation says of God, I'll never, no, never forsake. What confidence we have when we understand who God is. We may have no confidence that we can understand our circumstances. And they may seem harsh and they may seem unrelenting. And the truth is your circumstances may indeed be harsh and very powerful. But one thing is true about the circumstances of our life. They may be harsh and they may be powerful, but there is a God whose power is greater. And there is a God who loves us in the midst of our trials. And it's because of who he is that he is with us, because of, of his character, because of his ways, because of his word that we can sing in our sorrow, knowing that he says to us, I'll never, no, never leave thee or forsake. So Jesus has power and authority <clears throat> over the storm. But in seeing who he is, the, 
the, the point to which it all is driving is that Jesus calls us to trust him in the storm. You see, the disciples, <clears throat> they got what they were wanting. Jesus calmed the storm, right? Uh, you would think that they would be relieved. It says they were terrified while the storm raged. After Jesus calmed the storm, they were terrified as well. And they had seen Jesus' power and authority, and they were filled, it says in verse 41. If you look at the response, it says they were filled with great fear. And just as Jesus rebuked the storm, he now turns to his disciples and he says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? I got to be honest, as I, I, I read this, sometimes I've struggled because I'm like, I relate. You know, a lot of times you read the disciples and you're like, man, those guys are goobers. Like they're always messing up, you know, and, and you, you somehow sometimes like feel bad for them. Um, in this moment, I'm like, I really, can, I really can relate. I probably would have been freaked out as well. I probably would have been like, uh, Jesus, <laughs> see the storm? You know, like, come on. And, and so Jesus' rebuke sounds harsh. Why are you so afraid? Well, isn't it obvious, Jesus? But I think he's getting at something deeper. Have you still no faith? I think Jesus is responding to their question. They didn't wake Jesus and said, Jesus, will you help us? We know you have the power over the storm. They said to Jesus, do you even care? Do you care that we are perishing? The disciples concluded, they looked at their storm. They looked at Jesus and they concluded that Jesus didn't care. So no doubt they cried out and help, but their cry for help was mixed with an accusation of you don't care. His failure to act in the way that they thought was necessary and best in the midst of the storm led them to believe that Jesus didn't care for them. Made them question Jesus' love for them. And isn't that true for the circumstances and the trials that we face that sometimes they can bear down on us and lead us to a point that we question, does God really love me? Does God really care? I love how Tim Keller helps explain Jesus' response. He says, as Jesus asked this question, the thought behind it is your premise is wrong, he says. You should have known better. I do allow people I love to go through storms. You have no need to panic. See, what Jesus was saying, your storm doesn't mean I don't care. Your your storm, your experience, the trial, the circumstance you're going through does not invalidate my love for you. Those I love also go through storms. But I am with you. Do you trust me? It would be harsh if I said to you after you went through a storm like this, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? But it is grace to us that Jesus says it to us. Because Jesus is actually the one that we need. And he wants us to believe that both his power and his love is for us. That our storms don't invalidate his love and that he is able and powerful to work in the midst of our storms. And now we have to, we have to be 
careful in thinking about this passage because it does not say to us that if Jesus does not demonstrate his power in our circumstances, that that should lessen our trust in him or that uh, the only way in which people will see and trust God is if he does great and mighty miracles, as if that were the only way in which it validated uh, his power and his character. No, it, 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 it's true that Jesus responds in this moment and calms the sea and, and calms the storm. But as we go through life's journey, Jesus may not always resolve our circumstances as we see fit. It may not always go as we would wish. It does not mean that he is not working. It does not mean that his power is not uh, present. It does not mean that his love is not real. See, the storms of our life may not die down when we want or leave us without damage afterwards. But what Jesus tells us is that we have no need to panic when we go through them because he is with us and he is working according to his plan and out of his love. That's the confidence that we can have. As I was reading Keller's book, it's called King's Cross. Uh, It's not quite a commentary on Mark, but... Uh, just a reflection on the Gospel of Mark, he pointed out a quote from Elizabeth Elliot. Some of you might know the story of Elizabeth Elliot. Her husband, Jim Elliot, with four others, uh, were killed um, as they were seeking to reach a remote uh, group, um, <clears throat> a people group in, in Ecuador. And, <clears throat> and as, they, um, as she was there uh, on, the, on the mission field, so to speak, losing her husband, being a mother, working through all that, she decides to stay and continues on and sees the gospel actually transform that tribe. And uh, God does a great work, but she goes through great trials and, and great difficulty. And she said this of trusting God in the midst of our trials. She said, God is God. And since he is God, he is worthy of my worship and my service. I will find rest nowhere else but in his will. And this will is necessarily, infinitely, immeasurably, unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he is up to. She's she's saying that God is God. and, And because of who God is, there is no place that I would rather be than in his will. And his will is beyond anything that we can comprehend. It's infinitely, immeasurably, unspeakably beyond our largest notions of what he's up to. Keller unpacked further what she said. She said, if he said, if you're at the mercy of the storm, its power is unimaginable and it doesn't love you. The only place you're safe is in the will of God. But because he's God and you're not, the will of God is necessarily immeasurably, unspeakably beyond what we can understand that he's up to. And then quoting from Lucy in the Chronicles of Narnia, he asked, is, he, is God safe then? And as Lucy once said of Aslan, of course he's not safe. Who said anything about safe? But he's good. He's the king. He's the good king we can trust in our storms and in our trials. Speaking to the way sometimes our hearts can doubt, Charles Spurgeon said, God is too wise to err, too good to be unkind. Leave off doubting him. Begin trusting him. For in doing so, you will make out a crown on his head. To trust him in our trials is to crown him as king of our lives. 
See, to, to do that, we, we first have to come to a place where we believe and we say, yes, you are Lord of my life, you are king. But functionally speaking, the way in which we express our submission to God as king and our trust in him as the sovereign ruler over all things, including our life, is that in the midst of our trial, we would trust him. And in trusting him in our trial, we would crown him as king. That's what, we, that's what we must do. That's what Jesus invites us to do, to trust him in our daily circumstances as well as in our unexpected trials, to make him the sovereign king over our lives, to, to believe that he holds all things in his hands, to throw ourselves into his arms and to, to fully trust that he'll catch us and that he'll sustain us. He invites us to trust him. Because he's trustworthy. Our greatest need, no matter our circumstances, is for a greater view of who God is. Because when we see God for who he is, we'll throw ourselves at his feet in faith and obedience. Verse 42 concludes with the disciples asking the simple question, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is Jesus to you? There's only one Jesus. It's not that your answer gets to be right. Somebody else's answer gets to be right. But faith must take a personal stake on who Jesus is. And what we need, whether we have yet to trust in Christ as our Savior or if we've been following Christ for the majority of our lives is we need a greater view of who God is so that we might trust him more and more. That we can sing in our sorrows. That we can trust his goodness and his wisdom and his sovereignty in the midst of whatever we face. We have to ask ourselves, who is Jesus? Can you call him Savior? Do you know that he's forgiven you of your sins? He tells us we can be confident that he's our savior if we confess our sins and place our trust in him, calling out to him and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, he says, will never be put to shame. Can you call him Lord? To say that he is Lord is to say that he's master, to say that he's in control. The funny thing about God is he's in control whether we want to acknowledge it or not, but there's something that God wants in us to recognize him as being in control, for us to, uh, to, 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 to yield our hearts to him. Are you yielded to God, believing that he's Lord, trusting in him in the midst of the daily, everyday, normal circumstance, as well as the unexpected blessing and unexpected trial? Can you call him your shepherd? Are you running to him? to be refreshed, to be encouraged? Are you running to him in your trial, knowing that in the valley of the shadow of death that he is with us to guard us and to keep us and to uphold us? Are you being nourished and fed by him as the psalmist says that we get to sit at his table and feast with him? He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. 
That's what God wants us to see, who he is, and to, and to trust in him as we go through the trials that we experience in life and we go through the, uh, the circumstances of our everyday life.